from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are here on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives right here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And we have the dream team in studio, Michelle and Dion. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, we are live right now and taking your calls all hour long, 844 Wharton. 844-942-7866. We want to hear from you right now because we have a very fun show planned for you today. Today, we are going to talk all about those weird office situations that you may encounter on a day-to-day basis with your coworkers, with your boss, and, and how to rectify these and to help us do that, we are welcoming special guest Allison Green, aka the Dear Abby of the Work World. After 10 years as a workplace advice columnist, Allison has learned that people avoid awkward conversations in the office because they simply don't know what to say. In her new book, Ask a Manager How to Navigate Clueless Colleagues, Lunch Stealing Bosses, and the Rest of Your Life at Work, Allison brings all new advice to navigating over 200 daunting and difficult professional conversations. Welcome to Career Talk, Allison. Hi, thanks for having me. So lunch stealing bosses, is this happening? (laughs) That is a real letter I've gotten twice at least, I think. Um, Yeah, people are very weird about food at work and there is a a certain group out there that seems to think it's okay to help themselves to other people's lunches. In the the situation referenced by that title, the letter writer's boss was flagrantly and openly stealing her lunch even after she had asked him to stop. Okay, so so what do you do in this situation? Do you start making two lunches, one for yourself and one for your boss? Do you do you start eating out? I mean, I suggest that she get a locking lunchbox actually Ooh. since he had just completely resisted all of her direct <laughs> pleas so to him crazy. to stop. I thought why not just make it impossible for him to do it and and take his willingness out of the equation. Yeah. Okay. So do they, okay. I'm guessing they do make locking lunch boxes. Um, probably not for this purpose. Um, but, but isn't there some kind of repercussion? Like, can you go to HR? I mean, this, this seems to me like something that, that can be solved without the poor employee having to go put a, you know, master lock on their, their, their lunch box. She was in a small company, and there was no HR. And if I'm remembering correctly, her boss was the top of the company. There was no going over his head. And I think sometimes with some of these particularly bizarre situations that people write into me about, a lot of them are at small companies with no HR or with not particularly professional HR. And so people don't have a lot of the options that they might have in a bigger, better functioning company. Got it. So yeah, so, so option number two, aside from the locking lunchbox, is find out all of your boss's least favorite foods and start making those for <laughs> <That's> lunch. Right. <laughs> 844 Warden, 844-942-7866. We're here with Allison Green, who just published her first book, Ask a Manager, How to Navigate Clueless colleagues, lunch stealing bosses, and the rest of your life at work. So if you've got a situation at work or maybe a friend has a situation at work and you would like advice on how to handle it, today is the day to call and share. Or maybe you've handled a situation very successfully and you've got tips to share with our listeners. We'd love to hear from you. 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern, we are live on Career Talk. Take your calls right now. So okay, so in your book you have you have this you know all of these different situations about being micromanaged and getting drunk at holiday parties and and all these uh, you know different scenarios. So I kind of want to talk about these because some of them are I'm sure happening to people right now. And what's what's cool about your book is that you give several scripts, Allison, on how to say things. And I think that's kind of the point of you writing this book is that people um it's not that they don't they don't want to address this. They don't know how to say it. So they let it go on and on and build up and get frustrating. So um, you know, what what prompted you to to do this, to write this book? 
So I've been writing the Ask a Manager website for over a decade now. So that's basically an advice column for work. And the theme that I've seen over and over in the letters that I get is exactly what you just described, that when people need to have a difficult conversation, they often hesitate to do it or they don't do it at all because they just don't know what to say. And they worry the version they have in their head feels very adversarial or aggressive. And they worry that it will destroy the relationship or cause a lot of tension. And no one wants that in their work life. But what I have found is that when I give them specific language to use, this thing that originally felt like an unbearably awkward or difficult conversation suddenly feels possible. And so the idea with the book was to take these 200 difficult conversations that you might need to have at work during your career and give you the wording to do it. And it focuses in particular on the kind of cringy, awkward conversations that people dread the most. So, um, you know, you lost your cool and you snapped at a coworker. What do you do after that? Or what if you're allergic to your boss's perfume? All the conversations that you might agonize over because none of us are really sure what do you say in that situation and how do you do it in a way that preserves the relationship. Yeah, and you also talk about there's a section in your book that, that talks about interviews and the job search and, you know, how to deal with some of the awkward things that come up in that. So, hey, if you're listening and you've got an interview coming up, you know how we love to do on-air mock interviews. So we'd love to have you do that uh, while we have Allison Green um, with us today so that she can give you some advice on how to say it. Because I do think how you say things can make a huge difference. 844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. So, um, so, Allison, what, what common mistakes do people make when speaking up? So let's say people, someone gets the courage to speak up. Are there, are there certain things that um, are just flat out wrong that you don't want to do? Yeah, one thing that people do a lot is that they wait so long to speak up that by the time they do, they're really frustrated. And it's hard to keep that out of the tone that they use. And so they come in pretty aggressively. They sound irked or angry, or they sound like they're expecting it to be a battle. And people will so often take their cues from you and from your tone. And so if you approach them with that tone, you're really increasing the chances that it is going to go pretty, pretty adversarially. If you come to it calmly and your tone is very matter of fact, it's collaborative, your tone conveys, hey, there's this work problem that we need to solve. The same tone that you might use to say, hey, the copier is not working correctly. Um, you know, it's just a, an unemotional work problem that I'm hoping we can solve together. That tone will dramatically increase your chances of it going well. So how can how can you um, get there then? Because I, I I totally agree. Like when when I'm um, emotional, my voice goes up probably like ten octaves, and it's really difficult to to kind of um, put that aside when you're having a conversation about something that irks you. So so what do you recommend people do before they even start speaking up so they don't get into that emotional kind of battle of the egos? I think the more you can keep your ego at bay, the better. And that doesn't mean you can't have emotions. It just means they can't be the thing that's driving the conversation. So one thing I tell people sometimes when I talk about this in the book is that it can help to think like a consultant. And what I mean by that is employees' relationships with their bosses and their coworkers sometimes resemble, especially with their bosses, sometimes get into this like parent-child dynamic more than peer-to-peer. And all kinds of weird emotions come out when that's the dynamic. But if you think of yourself as a consultant and your boss as your client, you're often able to sidestep that dynamic. You know, you're just independently offering your services. You want to make your client happy, but you're a peer more than you are are a subordinate. And if you can't see eye to eye on something important, you can always part ways. And that's true for employees, too. We just tend to lose sight of it. At least when you're talking to your boss, if you can get yourself into more of a consultant mindset, that can really help. So getting yourself into a consulting mindset, and I would imagine that, you know, not not um, approaching it when you're right in the moment on the spot. So maybe taking a day or, or even taking a few hours to kind of step away and then schedule time to do it just so that you can kind of let that emotion go a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Do not do it when your emotions are running high. And sometimes it can help you to write out everything you want to say. Don't send that in an email, <laughs> but write it out, get it all out there, and then look kind of objectively at what you've just written and parse out what are the pieces here that are really about what makes the most sense for the organization as opposed to what's just being driven by my emotion. Yeah, and I also think a part of it too is kind of looking at what what is your responsibility because I do think in in 
um, relationships, it's there's a 50-50 mix. And even if somebody's doing something, you're like, I, I have absolutely no responsibility for what they're doing. I do think, you know, stepping back and saying, okay, let's look at our office environment. Let's look at the, the constraints we all have. Let's look at the parameters we're all working within and um, kind of looking at, hey, what can I maybe change about myself so that you're, you're looking at both sides? I mean, is that something you might recommend as well? Yes, absolutely. Focus on the pieces that you can control. And also keep in mind that when you are very frustrated with a person or a job or a workplace, this thing will happen where everything starts irritating you. And you can start thinking that things that are actually relatively minor rise to the level of things that you need to make formal complaints about. The opposite of that happens too, which is that sometimes people accept things that are really terrible that they shouldn't be accepting because that frustration over the long term, I think, can really warp your norms and, and recalibrate your sense of what is and isn't reasonable. But I think asking yourself, how does this really impact me and to what extent is a good guide to when it makes sense to speak up and how. I had a letter just yesterday. I think I published a letter from someone who was very upset that her coworker kept wearing a beach cover-up to, to work <laughs> and wanted to have words with her about it. And, you know, does that really impact you? Probably not. So sometimes that can be a good question to ask. Yeah. Yeah, I like that you're bringing that up because it makes me put on my psychologist hat. And I, and I think oftentimes when you when you really step back before you have this conversation, you get to the root of it, you realize it's something else altogether, but you're projecting it at this whatever behavior, whether it's the beach cover up or, you know, and, and, you, and if you can get to that root and address what that root is, then maybe who cares about the beach cover up because it actually was something else or it was connected. Like you were talking about relationships are complex and we often in our mind go back and kind of, um, you know, relate like you were saying to our bosses, maybe a parent child relationship and things. And we don't realize we're doing that. Of course, we don't realize we're doing that. So I think stepping back and kind of thinking about, hey, what can I take responsibility for? And maybe what what is the real issue? Is it the beach cover up? Is it is it something that's going on in my home or something that's going totally outside this environment or somebody else altogether? Because I, I do feel like sometimes it's easier to lash out at somebody who is, um, you know, maybe in a, in a peer position when you're really angry at somebody in a higher level or something of that nature. And so you you tend to lash out at the wrong people for the wrong things. Yes, absolutely. And I think, too, sometimes people write into me and they're very fixated on some particularly annoying behavior of their boss, for example. But thrown into the letter as sort of an aside are these details about things that are actually much more serious. They've been underpaid for years. They don't have clear expectations. Their workload is unrealistic. But none of those are the things they're writing into me about. They're writing in because their boss misspells their name or something <laughs> like that. And, and often I will say, you know, it sounds like you have very, very profound legitimate problems with this workplace, it's probably not the fact that your boss is misspelling your name. <laughs> Let, let's step back and look at these bigger issues. This might not even be the workplace for you to stay in at this point. Mm-hmm. Hey, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Hey, I know you guys listening out there have some you know, pet peeves going on at work or something you've experienced that you would love to get some advice on from Allison on how to handle it. Or maybe you've handled it well and you want to share with our other listeners. Um, if, if there's a place, Allison, where there's going to be things that are going to be frustrating, it's definitely going to be work. So a uh, great book out there from Allison Green asking manager. We're on Career Talk and take your calls all hour 844-942-7866. So Dion, I have to ask you, what is your work pet peeve? My work pet peeve? Yeah. <laughs> Was that you? No. Michelle is... Uh, I heard somebody humming behind is, Apparently Michelle knows your work pet peeve. Um... <laughs> Just off the top of my head, I'm going to say, and this is for me too, um, lateness. Ooh, I'm all I'm all about being on time. So, what is officially late? Like, like if you're not there on the hour, five minutes, do you get a five minute? <sighs> See, I'm I'm kind of like right on time. Like five minutes is like if you if you if you're here five minutes late, you could have been here five minutes earlier and actually be on time. Mm-hmm. Is but, there any reason that it might be like acceptable? Well, yeah, you know, if, you know, you got hit by a bus or something. <laughs> if you're in the hospital or deceased, then yes, or deceased. You, yes. you might be able to that's be okay. late. That's that's totally okay. All right. Got it. So, um, so do you talk to people about this, Dion? Do you, do you bring it up? Do you say, you know, Hey, if it's, if it's necessary. Yeah. Okay. And you know, try and try and do better. That's awesome. Try, try and do better. <laughs> try and do better. I like that. Try and do better. Michelle. 
Michelle, right. work pet peeve. <laughs> um, I guess when people can't take accountability when they're wrong, when they messed up in some way, or if they do something and they they don't tell you, they skate around it by saying all of these other things that they like, all these other reasons it happened versus just saying. I made a mistake, and this is what happened, and mm-hmm. it won't happen again. Mm-hmm. So kind of skirting the, the you know, just admitting I, I messed up. Okay. Yeah. So do you address that with people, Michelle? Mm, I mean, <laughs> I guess I just, I always just point out the obvious. So you skirt around this and skirt around the issue. <laughs> I just point out the obvious, which is, okay, so this is what happened, and Tell me, you know, how is it not going to happen again, basically? Okay. So it's just about clearing the air. I I don't ever want to make people feel bad for messing up, but, like, people mess up. Like, just say what happens so that we can make sure it doesn't happen the next time. Just say you messed up. Say you messed up. Hey, I know you're out there listening. You've got one, too. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or maybe you've got a question about the job search and how to deal with awkward situations in the interview. We'd love to hear from you on Career Talk. If it's Thursday noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live all hour at 844-942-7866. And we're here with Allison Green of Ask a Manager. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And hey, in case you haven't heard my new book, Switchers, How Smart Professionals Change Careers and See Success, is available on Amazon.com. So if a career change is in your future, this is the book you've been waiting for. So Allison, is there any um, time when an employee should or you know or any situation when someone should not speak up yes absolutely and this is just as important as knowing how to speak up and when you should speak up um a few things one is you want to be emotionally intelligent so if your boss is having a, a terrible week and she's gotten horrible news from above her and she's really stressed out and has a zillion deadlines coming at her this is not the time probably to ask for a raise or to you know say that you want a thicker ply paper towel in the in the office bathroom or whatever your request might be. You want to be emotionally intelligent about your timing. Um, another thing to consider is what kind of capital you've built up. I mean, everyone has a certain amount of capital in the workplace, and it's based on how long you've worked there, how senior your position is, how accommodating you've been to other people, how much your work is valued, how much your boss likes you personally. If you don't have a ton of accumulated capital, you might not be well positioned to speak up about something difficult. There's exceptions to that, and it's really important to say that. Um, if, you know, you should always speak up about something uh, related to safety or harassment or discrimination. But for the more optional things, you want to factor in how much capital you have. How do people know how much capital they have, Allison? Uh, it, there, there's no formula, unfortunately. Um, you've got to look at all the factors that I just listed, the things like how senior you are and how well you get along with people, how much you seem to be valued. You can, you'll usually get a feel based on the reaction to your request. Um, because capital is also tied up in influence. So when you do make a request, if it seems like you're being heard and you're being taken seriously and your boss really wants to come to a solution with you, that is probably a sign that you have a decent amount of capital. 844-942-7866. We're talking all about awkward workplace situations. Um, and Allison, I want to talk a little bit about um, the interview because you address some of those things in your book as well. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that's that's in the news a lot lately is uh, obviously about mental health. And, you know, what is your, what are your thoughts about bringing this up in an interview? Because there's there's lots of opinions on both sides of this. But I'm, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are, somebody who writes ar- around, um, you know, these difficult topics regularly. Yeah, as far as bringing up things like accommodations that you might want if you were to take the job. Mm-hmm. I would wait until you have a job offer, um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that they it's not legal for them to discriminate against you because of a medical condition, including mental health. Um, but you won't necessarily know that they're discriminating against you if you bring this up before you have an offer. Then right. you just don't get the job offer. It could be for all sorts of different reasons you don't really know. Once you have the offer, you can more safely bring it up. There, it's very unlikely that they're going to take the risk of yanking the offer at that point. It's going to look like discrimination. Once you have the job offer, it's very reasonable to say, hey, I, um, I have a standing medical appointment every week. Let's, see, let's say that you have a therapy appointment that you want to make sure you have time to go to. You can say, I have a standing medical appointment every week. Here's how it's worked in the past. Can we arrange for me to take that? Um, whatever it is that you might need to ask for, once you have the offer, that is the time to work it out. 
What about um, when you're actually in a job? You know, now you're going to your boss and explaining that you know you're you're you have depression, anxiety. I mean, you know, how do you recommend people handle this? Because I think it's really important as a psychologist that uh, you know people start looking at mental health in the same way that they're looking at physical health. But I know a lot of people, uh, on the one hand don't know how to say it. And on the other hand, I think there's a lot of bosses out there who, who don't know how to respond. Yeah, ideally, you would handle it like you would any other medical issue, which means that you don't really need to get into the details or a specific diagnosis. You need to explain that there is something medical going on, and here's what you think you're likely to need. Um, in an ideal world, I would love to say, let's work on tearing down the stigma that still exists around mental health, and so you should be very open about it, et cetera, et cetera. You really need to know your employer and your boss, um, because there are some managers and some employers who will penalize you in ways both subtle and not for talking openly about mental health, which is terrible, but is very much the reality. So you really need to know what your manager is like and the culture of your organization more broadly before you decide how open you want to be. But if you want to play it safe, you can be vague and you can deal with it just like you would any other medical issue that you weren't sharing the details of. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we're here with Allison Green of Ask a Manager. And we're talking all about workplace situations and how to handle them. We're taking your calls all hour long at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, um, Allison, continuing on the, you know, the job, (laughs) the job search topic here. You know, you asked something interesting in the book or in the book, it talks about a question like, how do you approach a potential hiring manager about addressing a red flag maybe you saw online? And I really feel like this is an important thing to bring out because my goal is to always empower candidates and say, yes, you're being interviewed, but you're also interviewing a company and you want to make sure that this is a good fit for you, not just, you know, culture wise, but the job and, and the, the person you're going to be working for. And in your in your book, you know, one of the questions you speak about is how can you ask an interviewer tough questions? So, for example, why do you have poor ratings on Glassdoor? So what do you recommend? Yeah, the, I think the way to frame it is you don't want to set the interviewer on the defensive. And so just like we were talking about earlier, when you're approaching a coworker, your tone really matters. It needs to be collaborative, not accusatory. And ideally, you go into it sounding like you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, even if you're not in, in your own head. You want your tone to sound like that. Um, so I would just be very straightforward. You know, I've noticed that you've got some reviews on Glassdoor that raise some concerns about workload and work hours. And I'm curious about what your take is on that. You know, is it something the company is working on changing? So you can frame it that way, but you absolutely can and should ask about it. Just like you said, Don, you are interviewing that company right back. It's not a one-way street. You're not just sitting there waiting for them to come up with a verdict on you. You're assessing them too. And so it's important, just as they're asking questions to learn more about you, it's important for you to get your questions answered. So assuming they give you like the the, um, PR version of the answer, You know, is there a way you can dig deeper without damaging the relationship? Yes, and you very well might get the the fluffy PR version. Um, You can dig deeper. I wouldn't do it with that interviewer because they have just signaled to you that they are not up for a candid conversation about this. So your digging needs to take place outside of that interview. So that means contacting people in your network who might be able to connect you with someone who works there currently or worked there in the past or might know the inside dirt on this company. You want to do that kind of due diligence if you feel like your interviewer isn't being straight with you. Actually, you want to do that either way. Even if your interviewer is very candid, you still want to get those other perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's one of the things that uh, we always want to drive home is that you have to get that information because the worst part is getting into a job and realizing, wow, this is not the best fit for me. Uh, 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. We're here with Allison Green, who is the author of the new book, Ask a Manager, and also the blogger behind Ask a Manager. And you're listening to Career Talk. We're taking your calls all hour long. But right now, we're going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. There's a quiz, and it's actually sports related. Um, so, Dion, you know, I know, Dion, I'm coming to you first. Um, <laughs> here we go. To stay cool during summer games, 
Babe Ruth wore this under his baseball cap and changed it every two innings. Oh, great! It's baseball. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> They're all the same to me. Uh, just stay cool. During summer games, Babe Ruth wore this under its baseball cap and changed it every two innings. If you think you know, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We've been talking all about awkward work situations, awkward things that happen in the interview. So if you've got a story or a question, we'd love to hear from you. Sarah in Massachusetts, welcome to the show. What's on your mind, Sarah? Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. I was curious, um, one kind of, uh, I guess, developing awkward workplace uh, conversation that I've uh, wanted to approach with leadership. I am in a um, smaller, mid-sized company, about 100, 150 employees, and wanted to understand, I've been with the company for 10 uh, years. We have a growing number of women um, in our company and uh, great support from leadership um, around you know, empowering women. But when it comes to uh, conversations around maternity leave, parental leave, uh, we're really not up to speed or up to um, kind of, I would say, the need um, in terms of supporting uh, the, the female employees in going to family. And how do you approach your leadership around changing so I'm sorry, Sarah. You cut you cut out for a second. How do you approach leadership about? Did you say maternity leave? Um, about changing their mindset. The leadership is still uh, largely uh, male. They um, have families of their own, but um, with a very a younger workplace, women um, of the age starting families. How do you approach a leadership around new considerations for parental leave policies? Okay, so you're looking to change the culture and, and uh, inspire some new policies around maternity and, and paternal leave. Okay, so um, Allison, how would you recommend that Sarah approach leadership about making a change such as this? And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who, who might be looking for different types of benefits that, that their small to mid-sized company doesn't offer. And maybe it's for them, maybe it's not for them. But, you know, what type of wording or what type, type of plan or strategy would you recommend for Sarah? One thing Sarah said that I hear a lot from women is that they do want to approach their companies about this, but they are worried that when they do it, they will be signaling, I plan to get pregnant and take a lot of leave in the near future. And that may or may not be true, but people understandably worry that their companies will think that's what the subtext is and that they'll somehow be penalized for it. So there is strength in numbers. There's no reason you have to be the one person who speaks up about this. Get together a group of your coworkers to all speak up about this as a group. Your voices will be amplified, and you'll have some protection against that worry that they'll think that this is just some personal plan that you're making for the near future. But from there... Talk about it in terms of what makes sense for your company. Your company wants to be competitive. It wants to be able to attract and retain women. Um, and, and you might talk about what other companies that are in your field or in your region are doing and what you all need to do to remain competitive in your industry. So if you can get data to show to them on what type of parental leave other companies in your region or in your field are offering, particularly uh, employers who might be competitors of yours, where it is important for your company to stay competitive, that can be very persuasive. So getting data, doing some benchmarking, and um, gathering a team. And I, I think the important thing in this one that stood out to me is that I think this this needs a strategy. This is not a conversation. This is something that you're going to want to put some, some research behind, put some thought into, uh, see if there's other coworkers who are interested in kind of joining the bandwagon. So this, this is probably a, you know, not a one-day thing. This is probably an ongoing thing that, that's going to take a little bit of time. So thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, Sarah. I hope that was helpful. We're taking your calls all hour on Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, Allison, I want to talk to you about some of these uh, situations that might be on the verge of um, – 
you know, maybe right or wrong is not the best answer, but it's like if you don't do these things politically, they can have a negative impact on your career. But, you know, legally, you, you don't have to do these things. So let me just give you an example. So if you're the person who, who just doesn't want to participate in office activities, like, for example, birthdays or after work uh, happy hours or things like that. Um, you know, how do you say that? But also, what are the potential repercussions on your career? I hear from so many people who really just don't want to socialize with their coworkers, especially after hours. They want that time to be their own, and that's perfectly understandable. I do think that if you are someone who cares about your career and building reputation and being able to move up, it does make sense to invest some amount of time in doing those activities. Not every week, maybe not even every month, but a couple of times a year. Show up for the team happy hour, go to someone's retirement party, make an appearance, stay for an hour, you've been seen, then you can leave. Um, And look at that as a work commitment like any other. Um, But I think if you're in a situation where you're in a very social team that's doing, you know, weekly lunches together and happy hours and, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, there's a lot of that stuff going on and you're not into it. You have a couple of options. One is, and I should preface this all by saying you have to know the culture of your organization. There are some where you really will be penalized if you don't participate in a lot of those. And if that's the case, your calculation has to be a little bit different. But in most offices, you can get away with having other commitments. You know, oh, I've got childcare obligations after work. You know, sorry, I'll catch up with you tomorrow. Or you have a book club or a standing gym appointment or whatever it might be. Even if your standing appointment is with yourself on your couch in front of your TV, you can be vague about what that outside commitment is. Um, but I do encourage people to, to show up occasionally because it is an investment in your career. Yeah, and, and I agree. I think that's a really important thing. If the culture is very social, I mean, a lot of times these events outside of work are when they have informal meetings and decisions are made and things are happening. And, and as unfair as that may be, that's something that as a worker, you need to decide, you know, is this a, a company I want to invest in the future? And if that's not a fit for you, then you kind of have to, to balance those things. But um, on, on another note, what about... Um, excusing yourself from gossip. It's interesting. There, There's some research out there that, that gossip actually helps bring coworkers together and build camaraderie. But of course, there's lots of, of things out there that talk about how damaging it is and, and how unhealthy that environment can be. So so how, if you're in an office that, that tends to gossip, how can you politely excuse yourself from that situation? I think you've got to really look critically at what that gossip is. There's some gossip that actually contains important work-related information that that might benefit you to be aware of. There's other gossip that's truly just gossip about people's personal lives and other things that have no relevance at work. And there's also gossip that's really negative, and that, I think, is really important to to excuse yourself from because, you, you know, even if you're just sitting there overhearing it, you can look like you're tacitly condoning it. And if the wrong person spots that, you now look like you've been engaged in this very negative trash talking. That can hurt you professionally. Um, it can also, I think, be damaging to, to your overall happiness level at work to be constantly surrounded by negative talk, gossip, or otherwise. Um, so I think it's tricky because you don't want to seem like you are judging your coworkers or setting yourself apart from the group. So there's an art to... to excusing yourself from it in a way that doesn't seem very judgy. Kind of de- the specifics depend on what the specifics of the gossip are. But I mean, for, for instance, if someone is gossiping about a new coworker who they don't think is very good at her job, and that hasn't been your experience, you can very mildly say, you know, that hasn't been my experience with her. She's been pretty responsive. So um, when you think about gossip and, and this going on, I mean, what, what happens if it's, it's, you know, higher ups and you're in the room and, you know, I mean, this gets really uncomfortable. Um, any any tips on do you give them feedback do you do you uh you know how how would you how might you deal with that it depends on what the gossip is and what your relationship with your higher up is but for example if it's say your boss is gossiping about your coworker's private medical situation for example and you have a pretty decent rapport with your manager you might talk to her later and say hey you know i know it's human to talk about that stuff but it made me feel really worried about how my medical information might be handled and i wonder if we should be more cautious about how we talk about that stuff. And if you notice the language that I'm using there, I'm saying we rather than you, um, which can seem a little more like we're all on the same side here. I'm not being adversarial. I consider us a team. 
Yeah, I like that tip. That's a really good tip. Hey, 844 Wharton, 844 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We're here with Allison Green of Ask a Manager. We're talking all about awkward work situations and how to handle them. So, Allison, what happens if your your company, you work in a company that's open to you making internal moves, but your boss is blocking it? So your boss is just, you know, not having it. <laughs> Yeah, this is the thing that happens. Some companies will require your current manager to sign off on any move you make to another team. A good manager is not going to stand in your way. A less good manager might, not out of spite, but because she might simply feel like, oh, it's going to be a huge pain to lose you right now at this time. So no, I'm going to say no. Um, And now you're blocked, which is crazy for companies to allow because you might say, okay, in that case, I'm going to leave the company altogether and and take a job outside of the company. Now they've lost you completely. It doesn't make any sense for companies to allow managers to do that, but it is very common. If it happens, the first thing you want to do is is have a heart-to-heart with your manager and see if, if there is a way past this. If your manager is really digging in her heels, it's not unreasonable in that case to either talk to HR or go over her head and say, you know, I want to stay with the company. It's really important to me to be able to build a career here, but I need to be able to advance. And right now, I feel like my my manager's actions are making it impossible for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about in those companies? You had talked earlier about those small companies and there's no HR department and, um, you know... What do you do in those cases? Because I feel like like in some cases, if your boss is blocking it, I mean, you might not have an option except to leave if you yeah. really want to move. That's exactly right. You may need to leave. Um, and that is often what these things come down to is you have to take a really realistic look at it. And, you know, you can't force people to do what you want. So if your boss is blocking you and there's no going over her head, there's no authority above her, then you have to decide, okay, do I want to stay here knowing that these are the conditions or do I want to look somewhere else? Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of catching a theme in a lot of these situations is that there's this unfairness to it, but at the same time, um, you know, one of the things I want to pull out of that that I think is really important is that yes, life is unfair, and and there's you know I talk about I have actually have a whole chapter about this in my book because I think it's so important that life is unfair, but you have to look at what choices you have, and some of them may not be what you want to do or what you want to happen, but you know you always have a choice, and you're not stuck. So really stepping back and saying. And you, you write about this as well, Allison, you know, what's in my control and what can I do and, and to not feel stuck? Because that's when those options and, and those creative opportunities tend to come your way. And I think that's a really important takeaway, uh, you know, from the show, but from your book as well, is that you, you always have options. Some of them may be better than others. Some of them may seem like they suck, but but really stepping back and assessing that. 844-942-7866. So, okay, you talk about this in your book, Allison. I'm going to admit this one's a new one to me. I've, I've not experienced this, but in your book, you talk about what to do if an employee's parent calls you. Like, is this happening? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's happening. It's crazy. Like, what is going on here? And why yeah. are they calling? Why are they calling? Right. So I've heard a bunch of different variations of this. So there are parents who are calling on behalf of their kid who's applying for a job. And they want to, for example, like find out what their kid needs to send in with their application. Or even worse, they want to find out why their kid got rejected for a job. And then there are also parents calling once their kid is employed. Um, they think their kid has been treated unfairly. What? Uh, yes, it's insane. I just had a letter from someone who <laughs> was who so was a manager, and a parent called him because the dad was concerned about the work travel that his son was being sent on, and he wanted to know if it was safe or not. So this is so undermining to these kids who are no longer kids. They're grown adults with jobs. It's very undermining. It reflects not well at all on these kids who may not even know that their parents are doing this. And these managers who write into me about this are just completely stumped. They have no idea how to respond to these phone calls. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to think what I might do if, if I got this kind of phone call, but I, I mean, I really have no idea. So what's your advice? Like what, what, what do you, what's the right thing to do here? Yeah. Do, do not accommodate these requests. Say very clearly, you know, okay. So if, if it's someone who's applying for a job and their parent calls say, you know, we really only talk to job applicants directly about that and do not continue the call. Don't indulge them in this tendency. You could even add, I mean, if you want to do this parent and their kid a favor, you could even add, you know, hey, I would really recommend against doing this because it will reflect badly on your child. 
Um, and then if the person is already working for you and their parent calls, you can explain that you don't discuss personnel matters outside the company, um, that you'll really only talk to their child directly about it. But I would also give the employee a, head up, a heads up that their parent called because they may have no idea. I think a lot of times people assume, oh, the kid knows about this and they're fine with it. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes the kid would be mortified to hear that it happened and they deserve to know that their parent is doing this. Yeah, yeah, good tip out there. Um, <laughs> 844-Wharton, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we should answer the pre-break quiz which is to stay cool during summer games. Babe Ruth wore this under his baseball cap and changed it every two innings. Dion. All right. So <laughs> it's, it's going under his cap. So it can't be too big. True. So I'm, I'm going with a wet towel. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, mean, that's, I mean, I don't know what other answer there could be. You stole it. All right. You stole Michelle's answer. So that means I'm right. No, right? you're no? wrong. Oh. But. But that, thanks for the confidence, though. <laughs> but, but that that means Michelle gets a second guess. Oh yeah. Well, she's got to answer the phone, so she doesn't get a second guess. <laughs> All right. So we then you get a second guess. Um, ice pack. An, an ice pack. Wrong. <laughs> it's logical though, but it can't be that logical, or else I wouldn't ask it, right? Well, that's true. But I mean, what else can you put under your hat? I know that's why it makes it such a good question. Does it? I, it, it, it better be not. It better not be like an extra chromosome. It's or not something an extra chromosome. I promise, none of my answers would be anything about chromosomes any longer. All right, um, Allison, do you, do you have a guess? Are you a baseball fan? I'm not a baseball fan, but I want to guess. I'm going to guess a cabbage leaf. You're right. Am I really right? A yeah. what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Okay, okay, wait. First off, we all need to know how the heck you came up with. <laughs> with a cabbage leaf because like that's let's just face it that's an un- unusual that's completely answer. random that's crazy but that's right i came up with it because i read about women putting it in their bras when they're nursing and getting um mastitis okay <laughs> but that has nothing to do with, with cooling your head so i'm baffled about how that can be correct Wow, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I just didn't think anybody would get that unless they Googled it. But yeah, Babe Ruth, that's impressive. I, that is impressive. I'm very impressed. I've, I'm impressed with myself. Yeah, yeah. I need I mean, like a bigger ding for that answer. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, we, we like, do. We need that, like a that, round that of applause or, or something like that. But yeah, so basically, he put cabbage leaves, spread them over the ice cooler. So you know, you're you're on the right track there with the ice. I'm always close. And then. When they were sufficiently chilled, he put a leaf under his cap, which lasted about two innings. And then, um, yeah. So, that sounds so gross. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think with a lot of things I'm guessing sports people do to kind of stay cool or stay. Pickle juice is, is another thing. Really? Drinking pickle juice. I've heard that. Yeah. I, it- I thought that that's where you were going. And then you went with a hat, and I was like, oh, I'm out. It keeps you from sweating or something? <laughs> I don't remember. I just know oh, it keeps you cool. People drink it. Something about the fermentation, I don't know. Hey, if anyone knows why you should be drinking pickle juice, um, let us know. 844 Next week's quiz. Next week. Why should you be drinking pickle juice? <laughs> Tweet us at Dr. Don Graham because, you know, hey, if that's a thing and there's a good good reason to, we should all be doing it. You're listening to... Career Talk on Sirius XM, Channel 111. We're going to go to Tamara in Texas. Welcome to the show. What's on your mind, Tamara? Hello there. Hi. Um, yes, my my trans daughter is having a terrible time getting a job. Is there anything I can tell her that might help in the interviewing process? Yep. So what, what kind of jobs is she going for, Tamara? She's trying to get something in the um, office management type of situation. I mean, she's got a master's degree, and she can't she can't get anything. It's just heartbreaking. And is she getting to the interview stage? Is you know where kind of is the the hurdle? She is getting interviews, and um, just, none of them will just uh, produce anything. So um, is she getting ghosted? Does she get any feedback about, you know, were any reason they're not asking her back? I'm just curious. I'm trying to gather the data so we can yeah. we can try and... I don't, 
I don't know. She's not telling me all of the details, just that she's very depressed about it. And, you know, she's got all of this education. And the last job she had was part-time for Amazon, and they just moved her department to Phoenix. Got it. And she's not interested in moving. Um, Okay, so... So, Allison, so um, Trans Daughter is trying to get a job at uh, a company. She's got a master's degree. She's getting to the interview, and she's not getting past that. What advice do you have for tomorrow? I actually worry that the master's degree might be part of the issue. If she's applying for, like, office manager type jobs, which I think is what the caller said, that she might – it might seem like her education is not a match with the role, and they might worry that she's overqualified and that she's going to leave as soon as something better matched with her education comes along. I think it would be really interesting to see if she can try to get feedback from any interviewer who she felt like she had a particular rapport with, um, because it's it's hard to know from the outside what might be going on, or maybe it's that she doesn't interview well and she would benefit from some coaching on her interview skills. I would start by seeing if there's any way to get feedback from people she's connected with professionally in the past. Yeah. And, um, you know, another thing that uh, I'm thinking is, you know, let's like let's just like point out the elephant in the room. If this is some type of discrimination issue, that's it's very, very difficult to to prove. Um, I mean, whether it's age, it doesn't matter what it is. Companies, you know, just tend not to give out enough information. And it's just difficult to to say that it was this one one particular thing. So I think culture is going to have a lot to do with it. I think looking at organizations who are, you know, much more progressive versus organizations that tend to just have, you know, cultures that are not as progressive, I think that's going to be a big deal. I also think that, you know, certainly I can I can understand, um, Tamara, why she's depressed. I mean, this is clearly uh, any job seeker who is in this process is frustrated. It, there's a lot of rejection involved. I mean, the job search process is not a fun one. And, you know, companies often ghost you and they don't give you feedback, which makes it really difficult to move forward and, and get better. So I do think if there is an underlying true depression, I think that's something that needs to be addressed because that can come through in the interview in different ways. It can come through defensively. It can come through in, you know, being anxious. It could come through in, in you know, a desperation. And those things are not going to be helpful in an interview. They're expecting you to be confident and they're expecting you to, you know, come across as, as, you know, as if as if you're not any of those things. And of course, we're all anxious and everything in an interview. But I think if that's coming through in any way, a hiring manager is going to smell that and they're going to say, what what is that red flag? And, um, you know, they're going to read into it. So I think that might be one to get that addressed. And then, two, I like the idea of getting a coach because I think a coach can help help with with branding. I think a coach can help with, um, you know, presenting yourself confidently, practicing mock interviews, those types of things. But I I will also say I, I do believe that finding organizations where the culture is much more progressive and open is going to be a a big factor in this because, um, you know, as we know, the world is the world and there's unfortunately a lot of bias out there for a lot of different reasons. And I, you know, I would, I would imagine that even though it's very difficult to prove that that can be, that can be a factor as well. Okay. So you think an interviewing coach would really help? Well, I think it would help well. for, for everybody, first off. I think everybody <laughs> should be practicing their interviews because a lot of people skip this step because they figure, hey, I am I know me. Who knows me better than me? And, you know, kind of the whole point of Allison Green's book, which is, you know, Ask a Manager, is this idea of how you say something can make all the difference. And, you know, example I use with my, my executive students here is they, um, you know, they have to come to Wharton every other Friday to, to be in class. And if they're going for an interview to say I have to be out every other Friday sounds very different than saying I need to be out two days a month. I mean, it's, it sounds completely different and you're saying the exact same thing. So I think a, a coach can really help you fine tune those things and make sure when you're presenting yourself that, that you're saying it in a way that the manager who's hiring you is, is hearing it in the best light possible. So I do think that can help everybody, quite frankly. So, um, 
I would definitely recommend that. And if you if you need help finding somebody, you know, link in with me. Happy to point you in in a direction to get that. But I do think that the interviews can be tough, and how you say things make a big difference. So, Tamara, we're wishing uh, your daughter all the best of luck. And we're taking your calls all hour, 844-942-7866. We're here with Allison Green, Ask a Manager, blogger and uh, new author. And we're talking all about awkward work situations. So I just have to list a couple, Allison, that I just you know read like on your online blog and really weird. Like your boss has a skeleton, a human skeleton hanging on their door. Um, your office vendor hugs everyone. Your boss is killing your plants. And and accidentally ending a work call with love you. I want to pinpoint that last one because I've never done that, but I have come close to that. Um, <laughs> you know, because you're just you zone out and you're just like, okay, love you. Wah! What do you do in that situation? You laugh <laughs> and, and and you apologize. You know, you, if you realize that you've <laughs> and you're burning with mortification, you know, call the person back I'm, or send them a text. You know. I just realized I said love you on the end of that call. Um, and know. I really don't. I mean, I do, but I don't. Like, not in that way. Like, it gets awkward. Um, you know, we're all human, though. We've all done weird things like that. Unless you're working with, like, totally inhuman, stiff people, they're they're going to get it. You're going to be able to laugh about it. It's kind of one of the the beautiful things about working with other humans is that we all have these weird foibles. <laughs> have you ever done that, Dion? <laughs> That's Dion's answer. We love his I've laugh. Never done that, uh, Michelle. You must have done that <laughs> unintentionally. No, no I, I feel kidding. like you do it intentionally. Like I feel like Michelle, you're so you're so warm and kind that you probably you probably Thanks, Dawn. love you. <laughs> I love you too. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Allison, as we're as we're wrapping up here, um, you know, great book, lots of uh, awesome advice out there. You know, what's what's one thing that you want to leave our listeners with that they can, you know, do right now that can maybe improve their work life? Yeah, I think the whole point of the book is to if something is really bothering you and making your life at work less awesome than it could be. Find a way to speak up. Good bosses want to know if there's something they can do differently. Reasonable coworkers want to know if their constant humming or they're taking all of their calls on speakerphone is driving you crazy. So speak up. You will probably not regret it. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Allison. Where can people reach you? I am at askamanager.org, and I'm on Twitter at askamanager. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. We really enjoyed you being here. Michelle and Dion, you guys make this show so fun. And of course, all of our listeners and callers, Career Talk is here for you each week. And we're excited because next week is a very special show. My book is launching and we're going to be talking about that. And actually, I'm going to be interviewed. So excited for that show. You've been listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. Have a great week. <laughs>